Well, it is a pleasure to be back here with you uh, today. I see so many familiar faces and uh, a lot of new ones as well. So we are um, kind of really happy um, just that this church has continued to flourish. And uh, we pray um, that Brad will have a, a great ministry here um, as he the next in line. Um, there's a, a fraternity of us ex-pastors. Uh, uh, of this, this church. Um, so yeah, uh, as Glenn said, Karen and I have been uh, the last three years serving as missionaries in Chiba, Japan. Um, it, one of the nice things being here is I get to preach in English today. Um, of course, one of the, the challenges of serving overseas is learning a new language. Um, Japanese is a difficult language. Um, one of the things about it, you may not realize... Um, there's not that many sounds in the Japanese language. Um, so they have a very limited number of uh, uh, like words that like, they can make uh, in terms of sound. So there are a lot of, of homophones, a lot of words that um, they sound the same, but they have they mo- multiple meanings. Um, so for instance, um, in, uh, in Japanese, hagema saremashita would mean I am encouraged. Um, but it also means I have become bald. <laughs> so it's, uh, most people don't get confused when you use that. It's a bit of a problem for me. Um, but uh, yeah, so uh, it's, uh, it's very good to be back here. Um, and uh, it's, it's, uh, it's great to see you guys. Um, we're looking today at a passage about um, missionary calling. Um, where, where Paul has a, a call to go to a new place to serve as a missionary. People in Japan often ask us, um, what brought you here to Japan? And, and of course, what, what they mean is, why did you feel called to come to Japan? And uh, as Karen mentioned this morning during Sunday school, um, it, was, it was hard to leave Sherwood. Um, we were happy here. Um, we had stability, our, our kids were happy, we had good friends, we had a fulfilling ministry here at the church. Um, what made us feel called to leave all of that, to, uh, to move thousands of miles away from our friends, from our family, um, and to go to a new culture? Um, our experience is very different from what Paul experienced. Um, for Paul, he had a, a vision, a, a that, that called him to go to Macedonia. Um, Paul's call was much faster and much clearer than ours. In fact, it was miraculous. Um, we didn't have anything like that. But I want to look at that, that passage now. And I know that um, uh, the place names in Acts can be very confusing. Um, and so in your sermon notes there, there's a, there's a map um, that you can use to follow along um, just to kind of uh, trace along the, the route of where he was going. Um, it kind of picks up, there's a line um, of his second missionary journey, and it, it, it picks up in the middle, and it, it doesn't go quite to the end, but uh, you, you'll, you'll notice the place names as we read. So this is Acts 16, um, verses 6 through 15. Paul and his companions traveled throughout the region of Phrygia and Galatia, having been kept by the Holy Spirit from preaching the word in the province of Asia. Now I want to point out, Asia is not referring to the continent of Asia. 
Um, it's referring to a Roman province, and it should be on your map there, a little area called Asia. Verse 7, when they came to the border of Mysia, they tried to enter Bithynia, but the Spirit of Jesus would not allow them to. So they passed by Mysia and went down to Troas. During the night, Paul had a vision of a man of Macedonia standing and begging him, come over to Macedonia and help us. After Paul had seen the vision, we got ready at once to leave for Macedonia, concluding that God had called us to preach the gospel to them. I want you to notice here, uh, it begins to use the we. Um, So this is a section where um, Luke has joined with Paul in the the missionary journey. So the language switches from them to, to, to we right there. In verse 11, from Troas, we put out to sea and sailed straight for Samothrace. And the next day, we went on to Neapolis. From there, we traveled to Philippi, a Roman colony in the leading city of that district, Macedonia, and we stayed there several days. On the Sabbath, we went outside the city gate to the river, where we expected to find a place of prayer. We sat down and began to speak to the women who'd gathered there. One of those listening was a woman from the city of Thyatira named Lydia, a dealer in purple cloth. She was a worshiper of God. The Lord opened her heart to respond to Paul's message. When she and the members of her household were baptized, she invited us to her home. If you consider me a believer in the Lord, she said, come and stay at my house. And she persuaded us. Let's, uh, let's pray. Heavenly Father, would you bless now the preaching of your word. Uh, Father, this is, this is your word. And uh, God, help us to study it, to understand it. We pray not just with our own minds, but Father, with your Holy Spirit, working in our hearts to illumine us, uh, to illumine our hearts to understand. Um, God, bless this preaching now. Speak through me and bless each person. Uh, may they know more fully uh, your gospel and your truth through the preaching of your word. We pray in Christ's name. Amen. <clears throat> so uh, Heath was very kind to give me a water bottle, and I left it in my seat right there. <laughs> Matthias, would you bring that up to me? Please, come on up. You're too embarrassed to come up. Josiah will bring it. Thank you. Um, I saw an article uh, on the Japan Times English webpage that uh, reminded me why Karen and I felt called to Japan. Uh, the, the headline said, Middle-aged Japanese rent men are hired to lend an ear as strangers. Article says, from lonely pensioners to schoolgirls with shattered dreams, Takanobu Nishimoto and his crew of middle-aged men will lend an ear to clients who would never dream of spilling their guts to a therapist or worse, their families. Anyone in need of company can sign up to his online service to rent an Osan for 1,000 yen an hour. That's about $10 an hour. So Osan, um, it's, it's, a, it's a bit of a, of a rude word. It, it, it's kind of like pops. You know, some companies say, hey, pops. It kind of means you're old. <laughs> uh, it's older man, Olson. It's like Mr. Old Guy is what it means, right? And uh, so my first uh, uh, reading of it, they say they define an Olson as someone between the ages of 45 and 55. So when I read this, my first thought was, I'm glad that I'm not quite an Olson yet. Yeah, so some of you are middle-aged men, and you fit in that, uh, that category there. Um, but it's, it's strange. Who would want to 
to, to pay to rent a middle-aged guy to come hang out with them, right? I mean, people barely want to spend time with me anyways. Who would want to pay to hang out with me? Uh, and, and it's not to come do housework or labor or, you know, or, or, or something that, you know, uh, like a handyman kind of thing. It's, it's someone who's going to come and just to hang out and sit with you and talk, sometimes go shopping together. Um, it's, it's for companionship. It's, it seems strange, but it reflects a deep need within people. Nishimoto says in the article, the people who rent me are just asking me to keep them company for an hour or two, mainly to listen to them. People in Japan, and I think this is true in, in every culture, feel a deep need to be known and to be loved. In, uh, in Tokyo, a city of 36 million people, they feel lonely and isolated. They long for compassion and relationship and significance. Ultimately, they long to know the true God. As Karen and I saw that kind of need, it became a call for us. Like the vision of the Macedonian who, who begged Paul, come and help us. I want to look closer at Paul's call to Macedonia now. But probably, um, if you ask someone, where does Christianity come from, many people would, would guess sort of from the West, from Europe. And most of the history of the church uh, is from, uh, from Europe. But Christianity started in the Middle East, on the Asian continent. Um, in the early days, it spread. Uh, if you look at your map, it spread south, uh, southwest, down into, into North Africa. It spread out um, to the east, going out towards um, the Middle East and into India and, and down the Silk Road into China. Um, and then it also spread uh, northwest into uh, to Europe. Um, that's the route that Paul followed. Now, where's Macedonia? Biblical Macedonia is in modern-day Greece. Um, so Paul was being called to bring the gospel from Asia into Europe. He was called to cross a continent to, to, to bring um, the gospel into a new place and a new culture and a new country. Right? And the church in Philippi is the first one that Paul started in Europe. Now, your second geography lesson, the city of Philippi. Philippi was a Roman colony, and the citizens had privileges from being Roman. Um, it was a place where a lot of retired uh, military veterans had been granted land. Um, so they're all living in this area. So they're very loyal, patriotic Romans who are living in this area on their military pensions. Um, it was a prosperous area. There was almost no Jewish presence there. How do we know that? Well, normally in Acts, when Paul enters a new area, a new city, the first place he goes to preach is at the local synagogue. He doesn't do that in Philippi. Why? Because there was no synagogue. Um, in order to start a synagogue, you needed a minimum of 10 Jewish men in the town or city. So what this means is that there were not 10 Jewish men living in Philippi at the time, so they didn't have a synagogue. 
Now, if there was no synagogue in a city, then the Jews who were there would go down to a local river and worship there. And so uh, verse 13 says, On the Sabbath we went outside the city gate to the river where we expected to find a place of prayer. We sat down and began to speak to the women who gathered there. So he goes to the meeting at the river. There's no mention of, of, in fact, any men who are there. Lydia herself isn't Jewish. Um, she is, in verse 14, referred to as a worshiper of God. That means that she was a Gentile who had started following um, the gospel, or the, the Jewish religion. Um, she's, in fact, from not even from Philippi. She's from Thyatira. So we see this community had little or no Jews. And the one person who mentioned who is, who is sympathetic towards Judaism is not even from Philippi. She's a foreigner. What does all that mean? When Paul has this vision, and the man from Macedonia says, come over to Macedonia and help us, if we don't know geography and history, it just sounds like a new place. So, um, let's see, is, uh, is, is Ron fishing today? Is that where he is? Is it a meeting? Okay. So, I, I'm imagining, so, so Ron is a, a big fisherman, right? So, imagine he's out fishing, and he's, he's fishing in a one hole, and there's just no, nothing's biting. And someone says, hey, why don't you try over there, over by that log? Ron says, okay. And he takes the boat over there and he fishes. That's, that's easy. That's not what this is. That's not saying, hey, you've tried there, come, come over here. Paul is being asked to leave his native continent and to go to another. He's, he's asked to go to a culture that is going to be hostile toward him and his religion. He's asked to go to a place where there's barely any knowledge of monotheism, let alone Judaism. He's asked to go to a place where he's going to be jailed and tortured and threatened with execution. So this this calling comes with great cost. Now Lydia was the first person that Paul led to Christ in Macedonia. Verse 14 says, The Lord opened her heart to respond to Paul's message. We only know a few things about her. As I said before, she was a Gentile convert to Judaism. She was probably a widow um, because she seems to be the, the head of her household. There's no mention of a husband. We know that she was wealthy and that she had a business selling purple cloth. What was purple cloth used for? Um, Well, in those days, purple was the color associated with the emperor. Um, Philippi was a place, very patriotic, loyal to the empire, where the the emperor, Caesar, was worshipped. And so this purple cloth was was used uh, as part of this cult of of worshipping the emperor. So it means her business was tied to the emperor-worshipping industry. All this means that when she heard the gospel, she was being asked to take a risk, just like Paul. It was bad for her business, and it was bad for her social standing. So not only is Paul being asked to go to this new place, and it's so different from his, the people he's trying to reach are opposed to the gospel. It's bad for them to even believe in his message. What does this all mean for you? 
Well, I don't think we're all called to, to leave our continents um, to carry the gospel into hostile cultures. But I do believe that every Christian is called to be a missionary. Every one of us is called to share the good news about Christ with those around us. We're called to step out of our comfort zones to bring a message to people who are going to have a hard time hearing it. You know, when Karen and I decided to go to Japan, some people asked us, oh, don't you think we need the gospel here in America? Certainly I, I do. Um, I read a really interesting article the other day. It was called, Have Smartphones Destroyed a Generation? I would recommend it. You can find it on the internet. It's uh, from the Atlantic Monthly. That's a really interesting article. And it was talking about uh, different generations. And um, the current generation of, of kids, um, the one that comes after the millennials, it's uh, kids born between sort of the late 90s through the early 2010s around there, sometimes called Generation Z or the iGen, like iPhone, like the little i and the big G, iGen. Um, it's the first generation that grew up not remembering the time before the internet. The point of the article is that there's never been a time in American culture where people are more connected through technology, yet more lonely and depressed. And there were these amazing statistics that were cited. Um, some of them were, were actually good. They said teen drinking is going down. And teens have less car accidents than in the past. And there are less teen pregnancies in the past. Well, that's good, right? But the reason is because teens today go out less and spend less time together. Um, when I turned 16, I remember, I mean, to, uh, Virginia driving age was 16. My 16th birthday, my parents drove me to the, the driver's license place so that I could get my driver's license. That was a symbol of freedom. And a lot of teens today are not getting driver's licenses because they don't go hang out with their friends because their, their community, their way of hanging out is on the cell phone. That that's, that's how they, they connect. Kids spend, today spend more time at home than any in the past and yet have less connection with their parents. Um, this one girl who for the, or interviewed for the story, she said, I spent the whole summer hanging out with my friends. Um, but of course, I was in my bedroom on my bed and they were in their, their home. She said, there's an indentation on my bed from where I've been sitting all summer, you know, connecting with my friends. And what this article points out is that there's a clear correlation between people spending time on social media and being more unhappy. And the more time they spend on social media, the less happy they are. Social media is all about connecting, and yet it makes people feel disconnected. Kids do less than they used to, but when they do things, they document it. They take pictures, right? So if they go someplace, they, they have to Instagram it, and they, they put it on their Facebook and, and, and Snapchat and all these things, right? And so then the ones who aren't there feel even more left out. Kids feel more left out 
than they've ever felt before. Ironically, I read this article on my phone because one of my Facebook friends suggested it. (laughs) I'm not condemning smartphones, and I'm not condemning Facebook. But I want you to see how the brokenness of our culture is displayed in it. And see, the thing is, I don't think this is, the article is about teens, but the truth is, as a culture, all of us are susceptible to this. All of us are more engaged with the smartphones. All of us are less engaged with people. And I think all of us, not just teens, struggle with loneliness and with feeling left out. And I wonder how long until Americans start hiring middle-aged men to come hang out with them. Do you believe me that people are hurting and lonely? If you believe me, if you, if you truly believe that that need exists, then I want you to hear it like Paul heard the voice of the Macedonian man, come and help us. You see, a big part of calling is recognizing that a need exists. And the gospel gives us compassion. I don't think it's any coincidence that as soon as Lydia believes in the gospel, she begins practicing Christian hospitality. Verse 15 says, if you consider me a believer in the Lord, come and stay at my house. And she persuaded us. You know, inviting people into your home is not easy. It's inconvenient. There's a cost to it. But the gospel compels us to lay down our lives, to be inconvenienced for other people because it is a wonderful way to serve and to show love. Being a missionary, more than anything, is about being inconvenienced for the sake of Christ. And that can be going across an ocean to another continent, or it can be going across the street to a different house. And maybe sometimes it's easier to go to Japan than it is to go across the street. I remember um, so when I was in high school, I, I, I sang in the, the church choir. And we did a, a, like a musical little show kind of thing. And actually, Karen did the same one in her church. And uh, we sang this song, and it said, uh, I'd rather go to Africa than Marshall High. Um, Dear Lord, please send me anywhere but Marshall High. Marshall was the name of my high school. Because being a believer isn't cool. No way. Being a believer isn't cool. Dear Lord, please send me anywhere but my high school. I would rather, I'd rather be sent to Africa than have to face the people who I know 
and have to face my family, my relatives, that's hard. But you know, when we reach out to people, we become Christ for them. We, we become the arms of Jesus. We become the feet of Jesus. We become the voice of Jesus. We're putting flesh on the message of the gospel. Why are we called to put flesh on the gospel? Because that's what Jesus did. You know, years after the events of this passage, Paul is going to write a letter to the church that he helped start in Philippi. And speaking of Jesus, he says, Philippians 2, 6-8, Though he was in the form of God, he did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but emptied himself by taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men, and being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. You know, when we celebrate Christmas, the message of Christmas is Jesus became flesh in order to bring the good news to us. And when we celebrate Easter, the message is Jesus' flesh was tortured and killed in order to accomplish the gospel. He emptied himself and became a servant. He humbled himself by obedience on the cross. That's what we are called to do. You know, I don't think I'll ever hire an Osan to spend time with me, but I understand the longing that people have to be loved. Some of you heard this story before, but when Karen and I were in seminary, we went through a difficult time. We were pregnant, and we had a miscarriage. And I remember the day that I went back to class, and I was standing in the hallway with a bunch of students waiting to enter my classroom, and one of my professors came down the hallway, not, uh, not the teacher for the particular class I was in. He was a professor who had heard about our miscarriage, and he, he went to the office and he checked my schedule. He found out where I was going to be, and he came down to meet me. And he came and he put his arms around me. And he said, Tom, I'm so sorry. Now, I had a lot of professors in seminary who taught me many things. But that lesson has stuck with me perhaps more than any other. Because in that moment, he was the arms of Christ for me. He showed love to me. He didn't make a huge sacrifice. But he went out of his way to come to me and to show his love to me and say, my brother, my friend, you're not alone. I love you. I love your family. And I'm praying for you. That is so much of what being a missionary is giving of yourself to go to people who are hurting and who need to be loved. That is how we bring the gospel to them. 
Jesus came down from heaven to show his love to us. Our calling is to go and show that love to others. May we do the same for one another and for those in our world who do not yet have faith in Christ. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you that you loved us so much you sent your Son to come to this earth to put on flesh, to suffer what it is to be human, to be cold and hungry, rejected, and ultimately tortured and executed because you loved us so much and because Jesus loved us so much that he endured the cross with joy. Father, may we take up our crosses and love others as we see this hurting world. God, let us be the flesh of Jesus that puts our arms around people and tells them we love them and there is a God who loves them, who laid his life down for them. God, thank you. Thank you for the cross. Thank you for the redemption that we have. We pray in Christ's name. Amen.